Amen. Let's also do one more thing before I start teaching. Let's bind all sickness and disease in the house. This is the house of God. It's the house of salvation, healing, and deliverance. We are sitting in the presence of God. No sickness, no disease is stronger than Jesus. And he's our savior. He's our healer. Is that true? Do you believe that? And Jesus said, if two of you on earth agree as touching anything they ask, my father in heaven will do it. Don't let doubt and unbelief creep into your system right now uh, from prayers prayed that didn't get answered. Let's not sit on the bench. Let's stay in the game. All right. We'll get a touchdown every once in a while, maybe even a field goal. All right, let's pray. Let's agree with me in prayer. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that we're in your house. And when you came into the temple, when you walked through Jerusalem, when you walked through the earth, you healed, saved, and delivered. We are asking in this house this morning, and we are expecting healings, salvations, and deliverances. So, Lord, we pray, heal sickness and diseases in this house today. Undo satanic strongholds and bondages. Clear confusion in people's minds and bring peace because you are the Prince of Peace. Do miracles in here today, Jesus. This is your house and we are your people. I keep seeing a heart beating in my mind right now it could be a word of knowledge a picture sometimes the holy spirit will give you spontaneous images or pictures or words and i'm going to ask if somebody this week was diagnosed with heart condition you found that you um, went to the doctor maybe and uh, you're having an issue with your heart anybody in the house today that's you don't and don't listen if that's you and you don't raise your hand and you come up to me after everybody's gone i'm gonna be really angry at you okay so if that's you, we just raise your hand because when the Lord gives words of knowledge, if that's what this is, he also brings the gift of healing right behind the word of knowledge. So is that anybody here that has heart condition? Ma'am, are you raising your hand? You're doing this? So that's you. Was that you? Okay. Excellent. Will you, uh, right around you, if you don't mind, ma'am, if you guys will reach your hands out, they're just going to, is that okay if they touch you on your shoulder? All right. Jesus said, in my name, they that believe will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Call for the elders of the church. Let them pray prayers filled with faith, and the Lord will heal them. Church, let's pray for our friend right now. Lord Jesus, that word of knowledge, that image was from you for her. So as the body of Christ, in your mighty name, we now pray for healing. Heart, we command you in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be healed. We come against all infirmity, all weakness, all conditions that would weaken her heart. And we rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ. And, Lord, we pray you give her a new heart. And we pray for a tremendous testimony of how you have healed her in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we want to get a report on that, all right? Okay, very good. I, uh, I also have another uh, picture in my mind. I'll, I'll teach here in just a moment, but I always like to give the Holy Spirit room to do what he wants to do. I see a picture of eyes that are going back and forth really quick like this. I don't even know what that would be, but um, it's not like you, you have a vision issue, but you have a, uh, I don't know what that would be. The eyes going like this. Anybody have that condition in your eyes where they are, where they are? You're having a heart, I don't know what you call that. I'm just going to say what I got and leave it there. 
You got somebody raising their hands over here? Back here? Okay. All right. I'm going to... Huh? The stagnant. So you don't have to have a medical degree to work in the gifts of the Spirit. That's what I love. That's what I love. That's why Jesus uses donkeys like me. You just see something, you say it, and then the doctors in the room can explain what the heck I'm seeing. Amen. Okay, listen, let's reach our hands back here. Lord, we take authority in the name of Jesus. What's it called? Nystagma? Nystagmus. Nystagmus. Okay. In the name of Jesus, we take authority over, uh, say it, nystagmus. And we command those eyes to be at peace, to be healed, for the vision to be perfect. There be no infirmity, weakness, or interruption with the function of those eyes that God created to see with. So we rebuke the infirmity from those eyes in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Hey, can somebody grab me a water real quick? Stuart, can you give me a water? Thank you. All right. So I'm ready to go now. You guys ready back there? Okay, here we go. So we're going to uh, continue on in our series uh, in following Jesus into the new year. My son and I, Elliot, were skiing this last week. And, uh, you know, I haven't skied in 15 years. So I really didn't know what to expect. And so when I got, when I got up to the top of the, well, first I did the bunny hill a couple times and I was just wondering what would happen, you know, if I had to start all over again, but I didn't, I felt pretty good about it. So then I went to the next mountain and then I went all the way to the top of the mountain. Thank you, Stuart. And, uh, and man, I, I, I didn't miss a beat. I was so impressed with myself. And so then I started getting a little more aggressive. And then the next time I went down the mountain, I got a little more risky and then a little more risky. And then I'm feeling like I own the mountain, right? I'm one of those guys that kind of skis down like this and just missing people and everybody calls them jerk. But I felt I was having fun and that was the point. And so, and so as I was going down the mountain this one time and I was going as fast as I possibly could, I caught the bank, I caught the bank of a, a you know, a wall and I came flying down and I'm just feeling so cocky. And I turn around, I'm looking for Elliot. I look back and I say, you know, hey, Elliot, yeah. And I turn around and there's one of those big snow blowers, you know, that they make snow with. And I mean, I was headed right for it. And I moved real quick and I wiped out. And I look over and Elliot's over on the other side of the hug. <laughs> and the reason is because I took my eyes off of my goal which was not to run into snowblowers. I took my, I took my, I lost my focus and I wiped out. This is what it's like in life. When you get too relaxed or you get distracted, you lose your focus. And when you lose your focus, you're going to run into obstacles. We're learning about Jesus this year as we follow him into the new year. We're looking at his attributes so we can be like him and follow him. And if Jesus was anything, he was laser focused and nobody could knock him off his path. Let's look at this in the book of John. Let's go to uh, John chapter 7. And I want you to notice as we read through this passage how focused he is. How nothing knocks him off his goal. It's the beginning of the year, right? We're setting goals. And I also want to say something to you that might surprise you. 
As we read through this, I think you're going to find that you're more like Jesus and he's more like you than you may realize. John chapter 7, verse 1. After these things, Jesus walked into Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. Now, the Jewish, Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. That's a huge celebration. His brothers, therefore, said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples may also see your works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself, himself seeks to be known openly. They were mocking him. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Jack, that's basically the spirit that his brothers were talking to him in. For even his brothers did not believe in him. Isn't that amazing? I want to start preaching, but I want to read through the whole thing and then I'll start preaching. It's always a very um, strenuous exercise for me to not preach while I read. Let me try it, see if I can do it. I know you don't believe I can, but watch. Then Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that his works are evil. You go up to this feast. I'm not yet going up to this feast for my time has not yet fully come. When he had said these things to them, he remained in Galilee. But when his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it was in secret. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, where is he? And there was so much complaining about him among the people. And some said, he's good. Others said, no, on the contrary, he deceives the people. However, no one spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. Now about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple, went to church, and he taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, how does this man know letters, having never studied? He didn't didn't go to our seminary. He wasn't raised up in our education system. Jesus answered them and said, my doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it's from God or whether I speak out of my own authority. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Now here's what I mean by Jesus is more like you, and you are more like him than you may realize. Which I believe will help him become more tangible and more followable. New word. He identifies with you. Number one. There's three things I see here. One, Jesus knows what it's like to be misunderstood. Anybody? Anybody at all? Just raise your hand. Anybody at all? I'm raising both my hands, a couple of my feet, all my toes. Has anybody in this house ever felt like you were misunderstood? Again, I want to see if I'm preaching to myself only or (laughs) how does that feel? Does it feel good? Doesn't it feel wonderful when you're misunderstood? You try to explain yourself, and they, you try to live your life. You try to, whatever you're trying to do, especially when you have good motives or pure motives. They said he was a deceiver of the people. Some even said about Jesus that he was demon-possessed. Okay, maybe some of you have been accused of that, but the majority of us probably haven't been accused of having demons 
when you're in a fight with your spouse? I know your problem. (laughs) You have demons. Don't try that. It probably won't go over well. But listen to this. Listen to how, if you feel like you've been misunderstood before in the pain. Tell me, first of all, what does it feel like? Really, be honest with me. What does it feel like to be misunderstood? What? Painful. Frustrating. Pardon me? Betrayed. Like you need to defend yourself. Degrading. Jesus Christ felt all of those human emotions. And let me tell you what's worse. And I know you'll feel this one. He's talking about his own family. His brothers that he grew up with don't understand him. Have you ever been misunderstood by your parents? That really hurts, doesn't it? Have you ever been misunderstood by your children? That makes you frustrated, doesn't it? How about a boss? You're working as hard as you can, and your boss just doesn't think you're working as hard as you can. It just makes you want to quit, doesn't it? What about your employees? When you are serving and sacrificing, and all they want is what they can get, and they feel like you're just out to use them. Or how about a spouse? That's one of the loneliest places on the planet. Single people, you think it's lonely? Let me tell you some good news about marriage. When you get married and you think that once I get married, I will find my soulmate who will know me and understand me for who I am. And then there are seasons when you go through that marriage and you realize this person doesn't understand me at all. And I'm married to them for the rest of my life. You can feel more alone than when you were single. Is it true? Not being understood hurts. We are created to understand others and to be understood ourselves, to love others as we love ourselves. There's supposed to be that intimate connection. So that's why it hurts so deeply. David said this, the man after God's own heart. If it was an enemy who betrayed me, I could, I could endure it. But it was my best friend, the guy I used to go to church with. He's the one who betrayed me. And he has a whole psalm about how painful that is. When they said, I want to talk to you, I want to tell you how, how much, I want to say one more thing about this so you understand how much Jesus identifies with being misunderstood. You can't be more wrong than to say that God, who is perfectly pure, not a dark motive in his being, is a demon. I mean, there's no, there's no wronger on the, in the universe. I mean, that's as, that's as far as the east is from the west. Wrong. But Jesus didn't retaliate. And here, here's the reality for us that have decided to follow Jesus. If you are going to follow Jesus, you are going to be misunderstood. Why? Because you are following a Savior who does not embrace the value system of this world. And the values of this world do not embrace him. I mean, it could be as easy as being at work and everybody's yucking it up and telling dirty jokes. And you're just, you just know, I, I really can't be, be a part of this. That's a difficult environment because if you don't laugh, it makes everybody feel really awkward, right? And yet, if you do like participate in that filth, you realize, I don't think Jesus would be laughing about this. You kind of feel stuck. Or Connie, 
who's in the congregation today, who was a mortgage uh, mortgage broker. And she's in the environment where everybody was giving out loans to couples who could not afford, afford it. And you know that these, this couple, this family, this individual is going to tank when that balloon payment comes. And yet people were just doing it because the, uh, the reps were getting all this cash, right? And you're just giving loans to people who can't afford it. And she wasn't doing it because she has integrity in the marketplace. Because Jesus would say to her, they can't afford this. You can't use people like this for your own profit, and you know that it's going to end up in, to their demise. And so her boss would say, your numbers aren't up. And she'd say, I can't do this. And so she ended up leaving the industry because she had integrity in the marketplace. But now she found her calling. So yay. She's, a, she's in a ministry now that is, that is much more meaningful in helping others. Or like... Francisco, the other day, he was telling me that he's with some guys at work, and they started to ask this question. So they said, man, if, if you weren't married, where would you go and what could you do? And they all start sharing where they wish that they could go, but they can't because they're married. Isn't that an uplifting conversation? Isn't that a marriage builder? And so they all go around the circle, and they get to Francisco. Francisco could have crumbled right then. And just said, I don't want to be the odd man out. I don't want to be the dork at work. I don't want to be the one who makes everybody right now feel uncomfortable. And they got around to him, and he said, actually, there's no place I would want to go without my wife. What a buzzkill. I mean, what a, you talk about throwing water on a campfire. That's what I'm talking about right there, man. Yeah. He maintained his integrity and his faithfulness to his wife. In a culture that it's really popular to bash your wives when the guys are around or to criticize your husband when the girls are around. Oh, now I'm just meddling. All right. All right. Or speaking evil of your boss. Just criticize everyone. We love criticizing leadership, whether it's a parent, whether it's a coach, whether it's a teacher, whether it's a boss, or whether it's the president, or whether it's the pastor, God forbid. I'm sure you don't ever do that. But if you don't enter into that, you are, again, the odd man out. And you make people uncomfortable because your light shines on their darkness. And so they don't like it. Or they will have a light to follow because you decide to be the light of the world. Or saving yourself sexually until you're married. Being a virgin is, talk about being mocked. It's not real popular. But if you're following Jesus then you're following him in your lifestyle and in your values because you're out to please him, not people. Spending your vacation on the mission field, spending your time, talents, and treasures on the greatest movement in the earth, which is the church. Or how about just being humble and not prideful and it's all about me. Or encouraging or sacrificial or joyful or forgiving your enemies. If you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to be misunderstood and you're going to be mocked. And sometimes it even goes to the next level. What did Jesus say in this passage we were reading? The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. Sometimes being misunderstood goes to a whole other level of being hated. Jesus knows what it's like to be hated. That's a big one, isn't it? I mean, it's one thing to be misunderstood. It's another thing to literally be hated. That's a strong emotion. How many of you have ever been hated before? Just raise your hand. Somebody's, I mean, you have, somebody's actually hated you before. 
How does that feel? Does that feel good? What does it make you, how does it make you want to respond when somebody actually hates you? It makes you want to recoil. It makes you want to lash back. It makes you want to defend yourself, as my wife was saying earlier. We all want to be liked and hopefully loved, and no one likes to be hated. How is it possible? How is it possible for God, who is pure love, pure love, his entire being is others-centered. He is always thinking about the person in front of him. And how he can bless them, restore them, help them, serve them. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came to the earth and said, I have not come to be served, but to serve and give my life a ransom for many. He's healing. He's delivering. He's saving. He's teaching the good news of the kingdom. And people hated him. That's amazing, isn't it? How can you hate God? Well, again. When you have a value system that is opposite the flesh, opposite the world, and you call sin, sin, you're going to be hated, no matter how wonderful you are. And in our country, it is getting more and more unpopular to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It's one thing to believe in Jesus. It's another thing to follow Jesus. Let me give you an example. Okay, so here's Jesus. Jesus, stand up for a second. It's a very complicated illustration. I just want to simplify what it means to follow Jesus, okay? You're Jesus. Turn around. This is what it means to follow Jesus, okay? Now you just go. Okay, he's walking. I'm walking with him. See, I'm watching his footsteps. Oh, what's this over here? Oh, yeah. Is, is that following Jesus? I believe. No, I believe. No, you're not supposed to follow me. You're still walking. No, you just keep walking. I believe. Oh, I'm a believer. Absolutely, I'm a believer. Hey, what's going on over here? Yeah, I believe. Okay, is that following Jesus? Is that Come back, Jesus. Is that following? It's not a difficult illustration. I just want to simplify. Is that following Jesus? No. People say, I believe in Jesus doesn't mean that you're following him. It's when you begin. Everybody can say, oh, I believe in Jesus. And people are like, oh, okay. There's not a whole lot of conflict there. It's when you begin to follow him in your belief systems, your values, your behavior, your conversations. That is when people begin to hate you. Jesus said it very plainly. Let me show you what it is like to follow Jesus. Okay, Jesus, we walk again. And this time I just want you to do all sorts of little squirrelies and stuff. You just go around in circles and do whatever you know. This is what is called to follow Jesus. This is exactly what it means to follow. You're focused on Jesus. This is how you do it. You got philosophies, you got values, you got in-laws talking to you, you got people at work talking to you and criticizing you and hating you, and you're not focused on them, you're focused on Him. This is how you follow Jesus. Can I hear an amen? That's how you do it. So you don't run into snowblowers. That's the whole point. There's a lot of snowblowers in life. Seriously, there's philosophies and philosophers through music, through media, through ungodly friends and ungodly in-laws that are criticizing your marriage. You need to hang the phone up on them because that's not Jesus talking to you about your marriage, your finances, 
There are influences all around you that are trying to distract you, challenge you, tempt you from following Jesus. But he is the Prince of Peace. He will always lead you to peace and purpose and fulfillment. All these other things are distractions. And the longer you follow these shiny objects, the more unfulfilled and unsatisfied and and discouraged you will be. Even as a Christian. Because you're believing, but you're not following. Can I hear an amen? amen? I know I'm not preaching to you guys. I'm talking about everybody who's not here. Some people that are online listening right now. And a bunch of people that are in your minds right now. But it's not you. I'm giving you a message to preach to other people when you run into them. So... Give an example of hatred. Well, let's look at a scripture, what Jesus says about being hated, just so you know that you are in the right category. Jesus prayed in John 17. He's ready to leave the earth, leave his followers, not just believers, his followers, his disciples. He's leaving his followers behind to the wolves. And this is what Jesus prays. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And then John 15. If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it. Everybody say, if. You see, are you a believer or a follower? That's your question for yourself this morning. Let me tell you something. If somebody's not hating you because you're a follower of Jesus, you're probably not following Jesus. You've probably decided that fitting in is more important to you than following Jesus. Everybody thinks you're wonderful. Nobody hates you. You're probably not following Jesus. I'm not saying go out there and be obnoxious and then people hate you and you're like, yeah, that proves that I'm an awesome Christian. No, that proves that you're a weirdo jerk in the name of Jesus and you're really hindering the cause, honestly. There's so many times I'm watching TV, somebody speaking for the body of Christ, and I'm thinking, shut up. That's not helping. Not helpful. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when you're following Jesus, and then there comes a conflict and a clash of values in a scenario, and you have a choice to make. I'm either going to be loved or hated based on how I respond to this question or how I react to the situation. Like, for instance, maybe Prop 8. Prop 8 is hate. Who came up with that? Who came up with that motto? Prop 8 is hate. So we are accused of being haters if we believe in the biblical Jesus-endorsed definition of marriage. If you're going to follow Jesus, then marriage is between a man and a woman. Period. No shiny objects. Jesus, man and woman, together reflect God's nature. Anything else is A distortion of God's nature. But if you don't want to be hated, keep your mouth shut. Because the goal in life is to be liked. Isn't that what Jesus said? My goal for you is to be liked by the world. So don't, don't, don't stand out. Don't stand out from the crowd. Well, again, are you a believer in Jesus or a believer and you're following Jesus? Because if you follow then you're going to be hated because you believe things like this, which offends people. Or pro-life. How is it that those who love life are considered haters and are hated because we believe in life? 
So when people attack me, and this is, you can take the same uh, posture if you want. This is just how I think. When people attack me on the things that I believe and my lifestyle, I tell them, if I was not a follower of Jesus, it would be different. But because I am a follower of Jesus, I, this isn't my doctrine. That's what Jesus said, right, in the passage we just read. This isn't my doctrine. I'm not seeking my own glory. I'm seeking the glory of the one who sent me. So this is his teaching. So these teachings aren't John's teachings. These are the Bible's teachings. They're Jesus' teachings. So I'm following him. Let the chips fall where they may. But be nice about it. Nobody likes to be hated. But if you are hated because you are following Jesus. So let's say you made that decision. Let's say you decided before I was preaching this or as I'm preaching it, you're making a decision. You're right. I've been a believer, but not a follower. I've been distracted by shiny objects. My flesh is sending me off this way. I've been intimidated that I won't fit in and people will think I'm weird. And, and uh, I, you know, I, I don't want to I don't want to be mocked like Jesus was mocked. Well, then you're not following him and you're not identifying with him. I don't mind being mocked for Jesus. In fact, the apostles and the early disciples considered it a privilege to be persecuted for their faith because that caused them to identify with Jesus. And they thought that was an amazing privilege. Let's look at this. In Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to go over here real quick. In Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to show you the attitude of the first followers of Jesus. They left all to follow him. That's the choice you have to make or you're going to be half-stepping and miserable. You've got to decide, I'm leaving all to follow him. I'm not going to be weird. I'm just leaving all to follow him. And so when that happens, you are going to make some people really uncomfortable and upset with you. So Jesus, knowing this, says to you and I, his followers, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 11, blessed. Everybody say blessed. See, Jesus is going to leave you unblessed when you're persecuted. I want the blessings of God. So go ahead and persecute me a little bit so I can be blessed. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice. Be exceedingly glad. For great is your reward. Where? In heaven. That's what I'm living for. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now let's go to the book of Acts real quick. And I'm going to show you. That's the sermon they got that day. Then they had a chance to live it out. In Acts chapter 5. They were out preaching Jesus. They were healing. And the, the church, the, the, or the, the, the religious leaders of the day, not the church, the religious leaders hated them for it. Hated Jesus Hated Jesus' followers, and so they beat them. And look what they said to them. In, John, in Acts chapter, where, what did I say? Acts chapter 5. Started in verse 40. And they agreed with him. Uh, Gamaliel's advice was, hey, you know, leave these guys alone because it might be of God. And if it is, then we don't want to fight God. And they said, well, okay. We know it's not, but we'll just let it go and see what happens. And when they had called the apostles and beaten them. They commanded them that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Oh, man. 
I think these guys were disciples. <laughs> I think they were following him real closely. They were thankful that they were hated and persecuted and beaten. Because what that meant was it was proof to them that they were true followers of Jesus. Until they were hated, they had no street cred in the kingdom of God. So what did they do? And daily in the temple and in the house, they did not cease teaching and proclaiming Jesus is the Christ. The very thing they told, the authorities told them not to do. They went ahead and did it. This is the thing that I have uh, experienced and learned about Jesus. If you are going to follow him and you're going to take heat for it in your social life and your business and your corporate life and your immediate family life, Jesus is going to reward you personally for it. He knows what it feels like and he sees you standing strong, not denying his name, and he will never ignore it, overlook it, and not reward you for it. In fact, every time you're persecuted, mocked, laughed at, misunderstood, and you stand the heat, you're getting rewards in heaven. They're literally, and I'm not just saying this because I'm like preaching. I'm not, I'm not hyper preaching right now. This is Bible. Every time you're persecuted, your rewards in heaven just increased. I mean, that's it. When we get there, there's going to be a bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ, or an award ceremony. And it's all about how you stood in the fire for Jesus on this side of heaven. And your, your rewards just keep banking up higher and higher and higher. And when you get there and he rewards you, the amount of your reward is the way you glorify him. I just want to say something. I'm preaching a lot better than you're amening. All right. And number three, Jesus knows what it's like to be misunderstood. He knows what it's like to be hated. And Jesus knows what it's like to be flat out rejected. I mean, Jesus is in the temple teaching. He got rejected by the church. He got rejected by his family. He got rejected by the world. And then he got rejected by the religious community. He was pretty much on his own. And here's what I've also seen in the word and experience in my life and the men and women of God in my life. I've seen it with them as well. Every great man and woman of God goes to the test of rejection. You think about Moses, you think about Joseph, you think about David, you think about Paul, you think about Jesus. The test of rejection, the purpose of it, of course, from Satan is to destroy you. But the test of rejection actually drives the man or woman of God deeper into God. And you find your reputation, your validation, your uh, identity your self-worth, and God, and God alone. <laughs> the test of rejection ends up being a beautiful thing after you get done whining and having this pity party. Once you get driven deep into God because the people that are supposed to know you the most don't, the people you thought were your friends hate you once they find out what you stand for, and then you're flat out rejected. 
and it drives you into the only one who can be your refuge and you meet with God and he validates you. You find your identity. Then you turn around without a chip on your shoulder. I mean, some people are well balanced. They have a chip on both shoulders. That's not what I'm talking about. Once you connect with God and he is your source of worth and validation, then you turn and this is what Jesus is able to do. The people who misunderstood him, the people who hated him, and the people who flat out rejected him, he was still able to love them. Why? Because here's the key to all of this. Jesus was not living for himself or others. He was living for God. He said this in this passage. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him has no unrighteousness in him. So when I'm talking about focus, what's your focus this year as we're following Jesus? What are your goals? What is the thing you're not taking your eye off of? I want to challenge you today as the body of Christ. And if you have not yet given your life to Christ, I want to challenge you to make Jesus your Lord. So that your focus can be doing the will of God. That's Jesus' focus. He was so dedicated to to simply doing God's will, living for God and not himself. That when he was misunderstood, he didn't crawl into some little turtle shell and, oh, they don't understand me. He didn't have time for that. It hurt, but he had to do the will of God. So my own brothers don't understand me. That's all right. I'm going to do the will of God. Or when you're hated, rather than lashing back. The Bible says that when they reviled Jesus, he did not revile in return, but submitted himself to God who judges righteously. He submitted to the will of God. And then when he was completely rejected and abandoned, they said, Jesus said to his own disciples, the day's coming when you're going to all run off to your own homes and you're going to leave me alone. He said, but I'm not alone because the Father's with me. Because Jesus, now catch this, this is really big, and we're going to come to a, a close here in a moment. Because Jesus had decided what he was focused on, the Bible in the book of Isaiah said his face was set like flint. He couldn't be deterred, deterred, deterred. He couldn't be knocked off track. He couldn't be shamed off track. The Bible says that he endured the shame. That's what it says. He endured the shame. It actually says he ignored it. That's what that word actually means. He ignored the shame. Demon-possessed, deceiver of the people, born out of wedlock. It says he ignored the shame. What gave him the ability to be misunderstood, hated, and rejected, and yet he didn't miss a beat? Carry the emotional pain. Didn't. What gave him that ability? He was focused not on himself, but on doing the will of God. And because of that, guess what happened? In the book of Acts, you're going to love this. In the book of Acts, when it says they're all in the upper room praying, guess who was there in the group? It says it right in the Bible. Guess who was there in the upper room after Jesus rose from the dead, praying for the power of God to hit the church? His brothers. 
It says his brothers were there. See, he didn't crumble. And because he didn't crumble under the peer pressure of his own family, they got saved. Because that was the whole point. He knew, you don't understand me now and you're mocking me, but I'm going to stay the course because your salvation is at stake here. So i got to stay the course. Or how about those who hated him? Saul hated Jesus, murdered Christians. He was a terrorist. Because Jesus did not allow himself to be deterred and knocked off track, Saul became the Apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Or what about those who flat-out rejected him, the chief priests, the religious leaders of the day? The Bible says in the book of Acts that many of the priests became followers of Jesus. All because Jesus would not take his eye off the goal, which is to do the will of God. If you want to be a fruitful Christian, you can't just be a believer. You have to be a follower. And that means you have to decide you're going to take some heat. You're going to be misunderstood. You're going to be hated. And you're going to be rejected. But don't get knocked off course. Because the salvation of the world is at stake. The salvation of those around you that are mocking you and not understanding you and hating you, their souls are at stake. Are you more concerned about being liked than them being saved? I hope not. Because at the end of the day, when the curtain is drawn and the show's over, there's heaven and hell. And you're either leading people to Jesus or away from Jesus. Jesus said, you're either for me or you're against me. Jesus said that. There's no, there's no middle ground. There's no gray area. And you'll be tormented if you're stuck in the middle. Jesus gave zero energy trying to defend himself or to be liked. He was on a mission to do God's will. I'm trying to help you follow Jesus this year and to have peace in your hearts. I'm telling you, there is no freedom as a believer as when you decide, I'm following Jesus. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Once you make that, once you draw that line and the spiritual sand of your life, there's so much freedom. You know, oh, 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 hatred, it's just being hated, that's part of it. Being misunderstood is part of it. Being rejected, just part of it. That's all right. That's all right. I'm free. I'm not, I'm not here to please man. I'm here to please God. And I'm going to see him one day, and it's going to be awesome. I've already made my decision. Have you made yours? Have you made yours? It's a daily decision. Jesus said, take up your cross daily and follow me. But you've got to make an initial decision that you're going to draw a line in the sand and say, I'm following Jesus. We you close your eyes this morning? I don't want you chasing the wrong things, being focused on secondary things and wasting your life, wasting a day. I don't want you to waste another day of your life. Focus on the wrong thing. Chasing the wrong obstacles and the wrong goals.
Have you been misunderstood? So is Jesus. Have you been hated? So is Jesus. Have you been rejected? So is Jesus. But follow his example. And keep doing what God is calling you to do in every one of those situations. In every one of those relationships. Follow Jesus through the misunderstandings, the hatred, and the rejection. Be like him. Look at how he handled it. Go to him for help. He will identify with you. He'll say, I feel you. I feel you. Now, here's power and grace to do it the way I did it. Will you make that decision this morning? Drawing a line in the sand. I'm following Jesus. I'm following Jesus. I'm following Jesus. Now, if you have conviction right now, use it. Ask God to forgive you. Say, forgive me. I've been a believer, but not a follower. I've compromised. I've caved in. I've given in. I've given the self-pity and peer pressure. But today I'm drawing a line in the sand. I'm not wasting this year. I'm following Jesus. Make that decision right where you are if you're a believer. And with your eyes closed as you're getting that right with Jesus, I'm going to ask you if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. He is calling you today. He's been working on your heart for this whole message. And he's calling you today. He's saying, the same thing he said to his first disciples, come, follow me. If you will choose to follow Jesus this morning, the first thing you're going to experience is the forgiveness of your sins. And you're going to experience a peace in your soul you've never felt before. Because it's the forgiveness that only Jesus can give to you. Because he died for your sins. He rose from the dead. He is the Lord of all. And he has a peace to give to you that the world cannot give to you. But you have to make him your Lord and Savior. So if that's you today, you're here in this house, and you want to make Jesus Christ your Lord and your Savior for the forgiveness of your sins, and you're going to follow him, will you raise your hand right where you are and say, that's me. I need you to pray for me. I want to receive Jesus Christ into my heart today as my Lord and Savior. Raise your hand really high so that I can see it. I'm going to pray for you, and Jesus is going to fill your soul with peace this morning. Anybody? Raise your hand. Okay, I don't see anybody raising their hand. If you're here and you didn't raise your hand, I'll be down here to pray with you when the service is over. I'm going to ask uh, Mark, if you'll go up to the uh, stage there. And the way I want to close this out today is this. This was clearly a powerful message (laughs) in its content, in its confrontation it's conviction it's cleansing it helps you choose the right path and so what i want to do is this i'm going to ask mark to just fill the house with worship and the way i want to close the service today is this this is really important i'm going to tell you over the 25 plus years that i've been in ministry I have found that the most fruitful disciples are the ones who thought deeply about their commitment to follow Jesus. It wasn't some emotional response. They thought deeply. They hear a message like this, and they think. I I remember this one girl. She was in my college group. I preached a message like this, and then she was gone for three weeks. I thought, oh, I just blew her out. 
She came back and she was just radiant. I said, where have you been? She said, I heard the message about following Jesus. So I went home and thought about it. And that's what I'm going to do. She was the most dedicated disciple in the entire ministry. Jesus said, if you're going to build a tower, don't start until you decide if you have enough material to finish it. If you're going to go to war, you better count your troops and make sure you're all in because you're going to get in the middle of that battle and, and strike a compromise. He said, if you don't, if you don't take, take up your cross to follow me, you can't follow me because you won't make it. So because of the uh, content of this message, I just want to close this service with Mark leading worship. And I want to give you the opportunity to come down front here if you want. Or you can stay right there in your seat. But I encourage you to come down front and just say to Jesus, I'm drawing a line in the spiritual sand of my life, and I am going to follow you no matter what. He's going to empower you. I'm going to ask the prayer teams to come down as well. And if you want prayer over this, they'll lay hands on you, give you a fresh empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Because you can't do this without supernatural power. And the Spirit of God is going to come on you, and He's going to empower you. And you're going to walk out of here a brighter light and salt of your soul than when you came in, in Jesus' name. God bless you. Thank you for coming today. Go to Connect Group. Well, come right down here and just begin to give your life to Christ in a whole new dimension. Let the Spirit of God come upon you. Prayer teams, please come down and pray for those that come down front here. God bless you. Jesus loves you and I love you. Be the salt and light of the world.